Welcome, Minnie. So great to speak to you and uh, get to know you. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you like to invest in and the firm that you work for? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, my name is Minnie and I'm uh, an, a partner at 10110. And 10110 is a early stage fund here in Los Angeles. And we like to lead seed stage rounds and get really involved with the founders that we're backing and help them get to the next milestones in their journey. Um, we mostly do B2B software uh, investing, and that manifests a lot in sort of automation and efficiency for legacy businesses, but um, always looking for whatever is next and cool. And um, LA is sort of booming in the last few years, really, as regards startups and investors. And I know even some Silicon Valley investors went down to LA. So. Um, how is the scene down there? Is it pretty much booming, particularly now uh, since the crisis? Yeah, I would I would say that's a fair characterization. I think um, when my friends ask what sort of startup to join, that sort of thing, I always say, yeah. you know, joining one that's that's got a lot of momentum and and just the growth makes you know sort of the rising tide lift all boats. And I would say LA as a right. market really has that feel to it. It feels like Fabulous. a fast growing ecosystem, which is exciting. Um, yeah. The only sort of interesting caveat perhaps to what you said is it does seem like a lot of investors are moving down. And in some ways, LA and San Francisco or, or LA and the Bay Area sort of feel like they're becoming one market. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, the only reason I have like a, a question mark around that was that I did um, uh, promote um, an investor um, led uh, events in Silicon Valley. Um, I organised a whole lot of uh, venture capitalists to come to an event uh, for this electric car. And um, I found that they had no idea, the investors that employed me, <laughs> I had no idea about the culture in Silicon Valley and I sort of had to educate them. And I thought, gee, we're so close to LA and you would think that it's sort of similar, but and this was a few years ago, obviously, I think 2018. So, um, you know, maybe things have changed. But I, I was sort of shocked um, that they seem to have no idea. Now, it may have just been that particular investment firm. Uh, they weren't venture capitalists, so I don't know. <laughs> so that was I, why why I questioned it. <laughs> no, I don't think you're alone at all. Or, or um, So I, I do this weekly podcast where I interview a different Los Angeles-based VC on my podcast, ah. and everyone everyone has told me, "Oh, you're going to run out of LA VCs." Um, and I've been doing it over two years, and have done something like 150 different partners at different VC funds here in LA, and that always surprises people. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really good news, um, and fantastic to hear your perspective. And um, what do you particularly like to invest in? Like, what's your main focus? And um, do you want to talk more about some of your portfolio companies? Sure. I, um, on the one hand, I invest in great people, and that's really the motivating factor, which is um, most of my career has actually been running my own startup and then being very early at Google. And a lot of what I did in those roles was actually essentially recruiting. Right. <laughs> um, essentially what I did with, you know, at least a third of my time was just interviewing people. Okay. And, and so I take some of that same approach when I'm doing venture capital is I, I do what I know, right? Which is I interview people <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not, you know, when you're a founder, you're quite heads down 
And so transitioning from being a founder to being a VC, I feel like a lot of VCs are sort of smarter about these developed theses. They've really had their heads up and looking how different markets evolve. Um, and I feel like I'm at least qualified to, to interview people. So that's, that's always a starting point for me. <laughs> um, um, it's, and it almost is com- it's so com- compelling when you're, when you're good at interviewing, uh, I would say. Um, that's what I've noticed, that some people then think just in ordinary conversation that you're interviewing them. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just talking to you. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, I've learned a lot about interviewing and you know, idle questions. I mean, and getting people off their talk track, but without asking them questions that you're not really interested in the answer to and (laughs) all of of that. (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, well, hopefully um, I'll put the link in, um, in the transcript for your podcast and hopefully people can tune into that podcast as well. It sounds great. And um, I was wondering, I, I noted that obviously you're a female VC and I noted that, you know, you've, raising kids. Um, how is that? Um, just to give you a little bit of my background, I when I first went to Silicon Valley, I spent a year after failing to raise venture in Europe. Um, I spent a year video interviewing VCs in Silicon Valley and women founders on why women are funded less than men. And in those days, of course, um, it was less than 2%. And I think, you know, these days, it's just a bit over 2%. But at least it I was one of the voices that was raising awareness of the challenges for women and also for female VCs. That's changed a lot. There's a lot of female VCs, but it is hard to manage um, raising a family and also having a high-profile job like yours as a female venture capitalist. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, so many different dimensions. So first off, I completely agree that it has changed in the past, let's call it five years. Um, mm-hmm. Not just the numbers, but actually the tenor of uh, people being deliberately trying to support each other or support women or other minorities. Um, I mean, it's just night and day different. Um, but the way I sort of think about that is, I mean, it sort of comes back to, to diversity and inclusion, which is really thinking about the inclusion side of things. Um, and so I think about it as not just how do we encourage women to, you know, raise their hand to have a seat at the table, but how do decisions get made, whether that's how we decide how to allocate money as as investors or even, you know, at Google or at large companies, how do um, how do resources get allocated? And I think that if the way that those decisions get made is because, Someone is pounding the table and 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 you know speaking confidently about their five year projections, and we're not actually leaving room for people who maybe have a different approach to raising capital or asking for resources. I think that's the challenge that we need to face: is thinking about sort of decision making as a society and making sure that we have room for whether it's women or others, you know, who who might just have a sort of a different. Uh, operating mode than kind of the traditional, you know, older white man uh, at the table in the VC rooms. Um, But, you know, to me specifically, uh, first off, my husband hasn't worked now since we had our our first child, who's maybe he hasn't worked in nine years now. Um, And that is, I, I don't think I would be able to have uh, the career that I've, I, mean, I know I wouldn't be able to have the career I've had and feel good about the way that my children are being raised if I didn't have someone else at home who I had complete faith in was really taking care of my children. I also live with my parents. So 
I know that a lot of the reason I'm able to do what I'm doing is I work a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I like working a lot. Uh, I, I really, I, I feel very lucky. It's I feel much easier for me to go to work on Monday than if I were to stay home. I, I find that harder, actually a harder job. But, um, you know, a lot of that is because my husband is home with the children. And so nice that you've sort of got extended family as well with your parents. I mean, it it just becomes like, what do they say? It takes a village to raise a child. Mm, yeah. And um, you, that doesn't often happen in the West. <laughs> it happens a lot more in ethnic societies, but definitely not so much in the West. Um, I was a single mother, raised three children by myself after my marriage went. So I know the juggle of trying to work um, in my own business as well as um raise the children so it, it's a lot <laughs> yeah. yeah so um tell me how it's been since the crisis what have you noted I, I've spoken to a few investors and I know at the beginning of the crisis everyone was just big question marks but now it seems like investments are really hot and the market's really heated up Can, do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah um yeah, I was still thinking about children. I mean, I had all oh of my, my children. No, no, I was just still thinking about it. I mean, I, I, I had all three of my children essentially while I was building my startup. So, I mean, it was crazy, crazy times. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. So, so where we are now, um, well, I mean, different places where we are. So on the one hand, you know, I think a lot of the conversation right now is around, are we in a bubble with valuations? Because as you mm. say, everything has heated up. Mm. Uh Companies in my portfolio, uh, we have 85 companies in our portfolio now. And, you know, companies that I might have said, oh, you're a little early to go raise your Series A. I said this recently, and the company just raised from Tiger at a 125 post. And I thought they were maybe a little early to go out and raise their, you know, <laughs> Series yeah. A at a 50, 60 million post. So clearly I was miscalibrated on that. Mm. Um, but, you know, people ask, so are we in a bubble? And, and I guess... I mean, obviously, I don't know, but there aren't any signs that things are slowing down other than everyone's asking, are we in a bubble? Um, <laughs> there, aren't, there aren't signs like portfolio companies uh, struggling to raise money or people struggling to raise more venture capital dollars or family offices getting interested in the asset class. So there, there aren't those signs. Now, that isn't to say that things might not pop, but they're not going to sort of, it doesn't look like things are gradually cooling by any, by any stretch. Um, I also think that the other piece of this is our countries and our world's approach to entrepreneurship has changed. And I, and I think it's going to continue to change so, mm -hmm. that, so that in some sense, the supply of entrepreneurs um, is only growing. And so it can actually support a, a quite robust venture ecosystem and almost just new approach to employment. <laughs> so mm. it's not just that more people are starting startups, but it's that p fewer and fewer people are having, you know, careers in one profession and they're without a, a side hustle of some sort. You and I both have podcasts, for example. I mean, that's mm. entrepreneurship, right? Mm. And I think we're just seeing that the tools that are available and the societal norms and, and, and a variety of different factors are coming together to enable everyone to, to, to have, whether it's a side hustle or a side hustle that becomes a startup or, you know, a, a new business. And, and I think people are just that, that career path has been de-risked. You don't have to, you know, 
do a startup and therefore live off ramen or that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's less stigma. So anyways, the whole ecosystem is, is, is interconnected and, and has remained what I, you know, everything I see is still extremely strong. Right. And um, that particularly during the crisis, so like in the last year and a half or so, have you noticed any differences or? Um, yeah, and a lot of that has, a lot of that has really um, uh, exacerbated or, or accelerated during okay. the crisis, which is the valuations. Um, a lot of that has, has only accelerated. And I don't really think um, the crisis has almost not been, you know, the key factor. I think in a lot of that, I think it's actually been more um, probably seeing the crossover investors as in pub traditionally public market investors um, entering the private markets more and more. Um, and what we just saw with Sequoia, which is private market investors bleeding into the, to the public markets. And so that merging of the worlds has led to more money in the, in the private markets. Right. And uh, it also, um, with so much um, uh, remote work, I gather, and some investors have mentioned this, that, you know, it used to be quite parochial um, where VCs wanted to invest where they were based and um, and now almost like that's not happening anymore or can't happen anymore with the world go going vi virtual. So do you have any perspectives on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's true, which is now we're, you know, getting much more comfortable investing and meeting people over zoom. I also think that when I was first starting my entrepreneurial journey or just even early at Google, it was more of a black box. And so actually entrepreneurs uh, more felt the need to go, you know, join an accelerator or move to the Bay area to rub elbows with other founders or other investors. Um, and now, you know, universities all over the world uh, and other, you know, non-university institutions are teaching entrepreneurship. It, it's it's been demystified in a, in a really accessible way. So it's not just that the VC dollars, the investors can invest other places. It's that in, entrepreneurs are being born in other locations. Um, and I have one caveat to that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I said that I'm mostly a B2B investor. Uh, I think in certain fields, it's easier to um, grow ecosystems. Um, and, and what I would say is if you're building a, a company that is selling into the enterprise, the muscle of, of uh, a product manager who's built product for enterprise and understands you know, enterprise security and enterprise uh, authentication and all, all of those concerns is different. Similarly with the enterprise sales, that muscle is harder to come without experience. Um, and so I think when LA got started, it was a lot more on things like mobile apps, like Snap is sort of the, the classic example that we're from LA a decade ago. Um, and so what you saw, I think, is some of the uh, areas that, that LA started in um, were ones that were sort of easier to get going without that plethora of experience. But now, with, you know, with decades later um, of experience, I think we now have those people who have that muscle of doing more um, sort of later stage and sort of more enterprise focused um, company building. That's a really good insight. And um, 
I have to ask this question because you're based in LA. Um, how how is the supply chain crisis um, or the global shipping crisis uh, affected uh, startups? Is there a whole lot of new innovation starting to pop up around this these issues that have occurred over the last year and a half? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think that, um, you know, as you may know, like the Southern California, Los Angeles has the largest port in the United States, as well as the second largest port in the United States. It's the largest manufacturing city in the United States. Um, And so, so there's, uh, so very much affected by this global crisis and, you know, kind of like what you alluded to with, with our COVID crisis crises are sort of good for entrepreneurship because yeah. <laughs> everyone everyone then is looking for new and innovative solutions. And yeah. so um, I have an investment in a company called VendorFlow. VendorFlow uh-huh. is a communications layer for the transportation industry. And, you know, it's sort of shocking, but it, even in today's day and age, it, the, let's say, freight brokers communicating with freight carriers they send email, they, they use WhatsApp, uh, they send SMS, but it is not efficient. And so they, you might email someone and say, can you, you know, do you have a, a truck available to go from point A to point B and it needs to have refrigeration? And, and the person might reply back, I don't have a refrigeration truck. And then four months later, you, you know, you don't have a CRM system set up. You don't have that communication sort of layered in with your um, CRM system. And so you, you reply back again, you know, four months later, Hey, do you have a refrigeration truck? And the answer is again, no. Um, and so there's, there's a lot in that sort of global supply chain. I'm just using vendor flow as one example where yeah. things can get more efficient, can have technology that enables, um, a, enables or fixes a lot of the things that are broken. Right. Um, Minnie, just to finish off, um, what's your takeaway from what we've all gone through in the last year and a half? It's just the elephant in the room, so we have to, like, finish with that piece. Uh, What's your takeaway out of it, out of the crisis? Many different things. Um, On the one hand, we've shook up a lot, and and some of those pieces are going to land very differently um, at the end, hopefully, of this crisis. And and some of that will be positive, and, and obviously some will be a challenge um, for, for a lot of people and children. Um, but, you know, some things like the assumption that we all had to travel and go into the office and meet people face-to-face, a, a lot of those have a lot of positive things. Um, very positive on medicine and just amazing things coming out of really sort of the intersection of technology and and health and medicine, um, and and really being able to apply artificial intelligence to the way we do things like genomics or proteins, um, and and then so very positive on sort of the opportunities there, um, and uh, and you know I think I I, I think the the the, the just general crisis in America is is around the bottom half of society sort of being left behind. And, and I think the crisis has uh, accentuated that in, in negative ways. And so, uh, but that's not really just the crisis. That's sort of the state of the world that we're in right now. And so, 
if anything, hopefully it's um, even more of a wake up call on what we need to do to make sure that, you know, we're not leaving people behind and, you know, children aren't at home without access to um, the learning and the technology and the resources that, that the top half of society has. And of course, at the same time that COVID crisis hit, um, the climate change uh, crisis seemed to in- heat up and intensify. Although, you know, I'm quite old and uh, I've been focused on that since my 20s. So, um, but it seems like everyone now has to pay attention to that. Has that also impacted in the sense of uh, their startups coming in with um, innovation around climate change and carbon? Yeah, absolutely. And I think right. uh, maybe a decade ago, there was uh, maybe even more than that a decade ago when a lot of uh, Silicon Valley funds made bets on um, clean tech. Now we call yeah. it climate tech. Yeah. <laughs> We've changed the terms. Um, but I think that, that 10 years ago, like there was a, there was a need to invest in projects that were infrastructure projects. There were hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and now there's still that 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 mandate, that need, but there's also a lot that those infrastructure projects have matured. You know, we have huge solar farms and wind. And so now there's also a lot of startups that might be more in sort of the wheelhouse of something that that my fund could do, which are software projects that are mm-hmm. less capital intensive projects that are, you know, artificial intelligence applied to grid optimization or to uh, battery testing or, you know, different things that are, that, that aren't a, you know, you, you, half a billion dollar build out. Um, and, and so that's exciting, which is, yeah. there's a lot that different, different funds can do. Fantastic. Look, absolutely interesting and delightful to talk with you, Minnie, today. And uh, I'll definitely, hopefully, include your link to your podcast so people can um, tune into your podcast as well. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pamela. Great to chat with you.